0: Hello, Russell Howard here. Right now, I'm in America on tour, and while I'm here, I thought it'd be a good idea to record some special episodes of Wonderbox with comedians who rarely come to Britain. In case it's your first time listening, a Wonderbox is a place to keep things that remind you of all the best things from your life. So that's what this is, me and a guest talking about the things that make them happy. My guest is a British comic who managed to break America. He's the host of HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. As you probably guessed, this is John Oliver's Wonderbox.
1: Hey, John, welcome. There you go. That's upbeat. Welcome, John Oliver. That is the kind of upbeat tone of voice that truly welcomes another human being. Have you changed since
0: you come to America? Because you hugged me in the corridor. I did. And that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. And you're wearing cologne now.
1: I'm not wearing a cologne. I've had a shower, but that is also a change. <laughs> <laughs> I've washed. That's yeah. what I've done. How, how regularly do have, you doing that every day? I might not have. Do you think I wouldn't have hugged you? I guess I probably wouldn't. No, I was very physically shut down. I think now I'm open to a hug if and only if I haven't seen the person for half a decade or, or yeah, more. Yeah, fair. Yeah, you can't. If i have seen you every day, no, no. Leave for five years. Sure. Then I'll hug you on the way back once. Then we restart the clock. Okay. Uh, so if I see you next week, you'll get a firm handshake.
0: Yeah. And that's it. Wait, is this similar rule for the kids? Or?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes sense.
0: <laughs> so you know the point of this, don't you?
1: Not entirely. Explain it to me.
0: So the gist of it, it's like a reverse 101. It's like you put things that you adore into a fictitious box rather than things that piss you off. I see. And because you're such a happy chap, I thought this was going to be easy for you. <laughs> This is why I'm so excited. I can't think of anyone better. Is
1: it like Room 101 as well? And you decide whether that thing that someone loves, whether you destroy it or not?
0: I don't destroy it. And that's been difficult because Ed Gamble put Mr. Blobby into Room 101. And I had to hear him out. Wait, hold on. He put it into... Into, as in, that was the thing that he loved. He oh, loved... Oh,
1: sorry, not into wanna He put it into his... What into... do you call it? Your special box? No, you,
0: it's the Wonder box. <laughs> it's from the... Do you want the etymology of it? It's from the German Wunderkammer.
1: Oh, oh, it's from the German? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so there's not a dark story behind this at all. <laughs> <laughs> Wunderkammer, it is where you put... What happened in Germany between 1928 and 1950
0: von. Well, this is it. They've excluded that. But the rest of it, really happy memories. Do you know what I mean? But sure.
1: The magic German box. Yeah. That's got an asterisk on it, Russ, until it's been 100 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. But. Box. Yeah. The Wunderkammer. Oh. Mm. But the point of it is things you adore, put them in a the box, chat okay. about them. And, and he
1: he likes Mr. Blobby.
0: He liked and Mr. Blobby. And you didn't. Uh, No, of course not.
1: Oh, mate. I think I'm on his side, not yours.
0: Nah. Uh, Do you know what I'd like to do with Blobby? I'd like to punch him in the stomach just to see if you he could make him say anything other than Blobby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just to hear a bloke go, fucking hell, mate. But he's still got that, like, Punch and Judy wheeze. Yeah. It would it be funny. Ah, <gasps> bastard. Blobby. Bastard. Blobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. Bastard. <laughs> yeah. Blobby. But seriously, oh, oh, come on. I'm just a man. <laughs> blobby. I think I've got more appreciation for it after the fact than I did necessarily at the time. Because in many ways, it's like he's a perfect clown. Well, blobby, this was, and he brings chaos.
0: This is what Ed was saying. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think he's right, and you're wrong. Yeah, well, I would revisit it because I think, especially when I show people here, when you're when you trying to explain Mr. Blobby, it sounds deranged. Yeah, he's saying, Oh, it's a guy who would just scream Blobby, and he was quite violent. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, Right, what show him clips. It is, it really is quite an amazing thing to have as a fundamental part of your childhood a kind of old, violent clown, probably German clown, <laughs> yeah. if, to, to continue your theme. If I was as Aryan-looking as you, Russell, okay. I would not be really dealing with German etymology as much as... Uh...
0: As much as I am. Listen, it was just an idea. I'm not... I'm not.
1: Was... At that time, you'd have been fine. I'd have been in trouble. Oh, sure. There's no market around. Yeah,
0: I'd have probably been riding around on an Alsatian. But so, what's the first thing? What is the first thing?
1: So the first thing is a sound.
0: Okay, nice.
1: It's the sound of a slightly underinflated football being kicked. Oh, that's the sound I like. The sound of a professional game is different yeah. than the sound of a kickabout. Kickabout, you're dealing with a ball that yeah should be slightly underinflated. Mm. It's not being kicked precisely. That's there's a different level of satisfaction to the thud that comes out of that yeah I think kind of some of my happiest times have involved that thud in the background
0: well I when I think of you as well as your you know obvious success I think of that uh, free kick you scored at Crystal Palace what a free kick yeah from nowhere in off the
1: bottom of the crossbar yeah like 20 25 yards he took he talked me through the whole thing yeah he just said just wrap your foot around it." it went like this WAP. And you did? And and I did it a second time. I did it during, there was a story that I did for the Daily Show in South Africa ahead of the World Cup. And I was in Soweto playing a game, and it was all about how FIFA are fucking up everything to do with what's actually great about the World Cup, as they always do, like clockwork, and that football is still fundamentally amazing when you strip everything away. So I'm playing this game in Soweto in a suit, free kick, (laughs) Same thing, whip it in, in off the bottom of the crossbar, and I went absolutely mental. Yeah, completely forgot I was on camera. Just ran and ran and ran. It was um, what a perfect free kick!
0: Was there an audience?
1: No, there's no audience there. We was just it was a kickabout, but it was there was a proper there were proper goals, and you were on a pitch and you bent it. Yeah, I bent it. Oh, was bent there it. a goalkeeper? Yeah, there was a goalkeeper. I oh, mean, just right, saying. I mean, there may as well have not been one. Yeah. No goalkeeper pre- in the world was saving it. I tell you what's incredibly
0: frustrating. If you ever do something magical at Anfield, as I have, I scored a rabona kick, which is Didn't where you, yeah, yeah, where you kick it for a penalty in front of the cop. I took a rabona kick, and I put it in the bottom right. The goalkeeper was dressed as a dragon. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't matter. I still did it, but it's... I
1: have a friend who played in one of those games. Yeah. uh, a, A rest of the world game. He played with Zidane. Yes. And he spoke French to him before they went out. And it was clear that Zidane appreciated that a lot. And so he would kind of only pass to my mate like 30 yard passes landing on his foot and then he told him when penalties came around he told him what to do said do this it'll go in and it did oh my and that was at Old Trafford I think
0: have you ever played in any of those games no I
1: mean is it fun or is it terrifying it's it's how many have you done now
0: I've played two so I played in Soccer
1: Aid was the second more fun than the first
0: the first was more fun because the nation watches it so you you feel the entire country like, because it's such a silly showbiz game. Yeah. But you've got like Clarence Seydorf. Oh my God. I was getting marked by Cafu. <laughs> and,
1: and <laughs> it's, you, you weren't getting marked by Cafu. It, I was. Cafu was there. Yeah, He was saying, I don't need to, I've got you. You're in my pocket. Yeah, I mean, in.
0: Absolutely. But the, the just excitement of it, they're wow. like a different species. Yeah. And then, Joe Cole and Teddy Sheringham and it was what it is, it's hanging out with footballers as well. And they're interested in, in so what are gigs like? Do you know what I mean? And then they've come to shows of mine. It's just mind blowing.
1: It's, yeah. you should do it, man. But I it's has gone. John Barnes brought the European Cup to my office in New York. It was absolutely incredible. Wow. Liverpool were playing a preseason game here, so we were just doing like a little bit of a promotion for them coming here, but he yeah. brought the European Cup with him. And having John Barnes hand over the European Cup to you makes you think, this isn't the way I wanted it to happen, but I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: John Barnes came on my TV show, and I said, help yourself to some sandwiches as you leave. He took the whole tray. Good for him. <laughs> Did he? Good walk, for him. He walked out with the whole tray. And oh. I couldn't say, oh, I meant one or two, John. Like, that was for everybody. He literally just... Wandered
1: out. Do you know the comedian Gilbert Gottfried? Yes, he was a wonderful man. Yeah, really deeply sweet, and uh, he was famous for taking everything from a <laughs> hotel room or everything from any place that he was at if he was invited to, yeah. to the point that we had a whole we have a whole snack cupboard in our closet. The first time he came in our office, the first time he came over, he brought an empty backpack like a rucksack, <laughs> and he walked out. Full, like <laughs> nice. We every, talk- every time he would, turn, he would turn up empty bags, and he would leave having committed a small-scale robbery.
0: Lee Mack perpetrated a phenomenal lie about Anne Robinson, the TV host, that mm-hmm. she steals kettles from dressing rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, be- it's It's just worth pushing that,
1: isn't it? It's such it's a hundred al- percent. What he's done there, lies are always you know fun. What he's done is he got the perfect combination of the person and the yeah. object. And Robinson steals kettles. <laughs> I'm willing to go to my grave insisting that's true. Yeah,
0: it's it's though that kind of bullshit that makes the world go round. I really just don't.
1: <laughs> Careful for that kettle around, Robinson. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's like, that, but that's what I love about. It. It's just silly. Like that's the good side of conspiracy theories.
1: Yes, they can be fun. Absolutely. Well, conspiracy theories are ideally, right, are there. Ideally, in their best form, are there to make the world a more interesting place than the one it actually is. And I think, in general, they're only there to try and make sense sometimes of the senseless, right? Because sometimes when random acts happen, it's less frightening to think that there is a grand conspiracy and a plan in place than life is chaotic and sometimes terrible things happen without explanation. It's much more calming as well as interesting to think that Prince Philip personally ordered the execution of Princess Diana yeah. than she got dinged in a Paris tunnel. But it dinged.
0: Um, <laughs> what, what's interesting, I've, I think, about conspiracy theories now, they've got a lot more, they were so much more innocent when we were kids. That So it was like, oh, I think they were. <laughs> I, I refer you to the, the big one about Richard Gere and the hamster. Yes. Like, that was so innocent. Yes. That gear was obsessed with putting hamsters up his hoop.
1: But <laughs> to,
0: wow. To, to think, the... think of that. Think of the hamster. Yeah. I know I did. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've looked at it from all angles. But I, and it's obviously nonsense. And yet, if, if randomly at that say I was in a pet shop mm-hmm. and gear walked in, I'm yeah. going to linger. <laughs> I'm gonna linger and see what gear. He knows he
1: can't go <laughs> He knows he can't go down there. Yeah. He can't be seen going down there. And he didn't do anything, but he knows he can't be seen. That's down what I mean there.
0: but you would. If you had shades, you'd pop them on, you'd sort of make yourself look busy around the bones, and you just I, wait. And he's got
1: the nerve to go from here to B and Q to buy a tube. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you gear? So what is it specifically about the the fact that it's deflated? It's the sound. Right, every time I walk past kids playing in a park now, it's the sound that it makes, it's the thud and the scurrying of feet that just takes you back to your childhood and not even childhood, like when we used to play on Tuesdays or when we played at Al Pitcher's wedding. You realise that some of the happiest times I've had have been chasing a badly kicked football. Yeah. And do you play soccer now in
0: America? I don't,
1: no. I don't. I, I used to a little bit, but it's just very hard with. Kids and yeah. this job, so yeah, I don't do it. What well, I'm, I dream of going back and playing Tuesday football one week in Crystal Palace. Well,
0: what do you do aside from work and the, the kids? And Nothing. The, it's just you're, yeah. you're in it. No hobbies. <laughs> there must be no some time. hobbies. There's no time. You smoke a cigar. <laughs> you look like you smoke. Fuck you. you. I bet you do now. So aside from cigars, what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. You doing oxygen oxygen tanks?
1: No. I think you've got... So it's just work. But what about during the strike? (laughs) Then during the strike, I had to do stand-up to pay my staff. So it was like hastily written stand-up and then frantically touring. So thankfully, it worked out. I mean, that's the thing, the crazy thing that you never anticipate as a comedian Mm. is that you're suddenly going to be responsible for a lot of people because it's such an irresponsible job. That's in many ways a key attraction. Mm. But to realise there's a building full of people who are responsible for you, is quite a weight to carry. And it should be as heavy as it is, right? So, yeah, the key thing to do was to keep people paid. That was the only thing that I was supposed to do. And now that you're back
0: doing the show, do you kind of miss stand-up or did you enjoy it?
1: I did. It was, you know, I had to get less rusty at it really quick. Mm. So I felt pretty guilty the first few gigs I'm doing where you're presenting partially baked material to an audience and hoping it's enough. But by the end of it, I was, yeah, like you fall back in love with it for sure. I miss it terribly, but it's just, there's no time.
0: So there's no time to do stand-up aside, yeah.
1: Aside from this, the show that I'm doing now? No, definitely not. No, this is like a year-round fully immersive commitment, so there's no space. And do you think this will be what you'll do forever? I mean, I love it. So I'll do it as long as they'll let me do it, mm. for sure. But you know we're on, we're constantly in trouble. That's part of the yeah, but you enjoy like trouble, it. don't you? I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
0: you're one of the f- sort of best at dealing with trouble that I know. <laughs> I
1: think I love it. But yeah. that's the thing. Is there's a childish part of you that thinks oh oh? Were you uh, spanked? company sounds mad. Were what?
0: you spanked as a kid? Was I spanked? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of seeing if there's a pleasure pain thing going on. I'm trying to get deeper.
1: God damn you. I, I mean, I was I'm just so saying. hesitant to come here. And, <laughs> and, and now I'm angry at myself for not listening to that voice. I knew there was going to be something that annoyed me. I was not spanked as a kid, no. Although I, I, th- I was probably it. in the last... God, now you say that. I was probably in the last few year groups of a school where we got hit. Yeah, which Mad, is isn't it? Which yeah. is absolutely incredible to think that that was okay. Mm. I think when I now look at my... Kids who are seven and five—the idea that you would hit a five-year-old with a ruler mm. is just barbaric. Yeah, for not for not understanding maths. For not understanding <laughs> maths or not listening. Yeah, and you're not supposed to understand maths. That's yeah. what school is for. You're not supposed to listen. You're a fucking child. Yeah, exactly. So it's... yeah, terrible. What's the next thing in the box,
0: aside from uh, a deflated football? What's the next thing makes oh, you happy?
1: I would say. When we do our show, we put the story up on the wall with flashcards, right? So you can kind of see the prop, You can see how the story flows. Yeah. You can see where the story might be getting a bit muddled. You can see potential problems, holes you have to fill. And we keep a collection of like the final card, which sometimes explains something utterly absurd that we're doing. So we have one that's like, John marries a cabbage. or <laughs> Michael Bolton sings about an anus. <laughs> Or Edward Snowden. (laughs) Yeah. And those final cards, they're just so satisfying because they're so dumb. It's almost like you're manifesting something to life. Yeah. Steve Buscemi tap dances. (laughs) It's it's amazing to think that that card, because we write them before it happens and then then we film the show and then we come back and then there's – Sometimes a card that you go, well, let's keep that one. Yeah. Because we managed to make that happen. John unveils £6,000 cake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that should be read out at your funeral,
1: like over really
0: sombre music.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the thing. It really feels like it's, it's hard because it's such a volume thing to do. You're just supposed to be like pounding out shows and there's never time. Part of the, the healthy side of it is there's never time to dwell too long on something that's gone well or badly, so, but,
0: but presumably you have those moments when you're walking in the street and somebody just goes, "Oh, that time that
1: Michael Bolton was singing about an anus." Well, it's, it's more like if <laughs> you look at the card and you think, "Oh yeah, he sang about that anus," and I was standing next to him screaming. I was standing right behind him, saying, "Tell it to the Michael," <laughs> and, and it was about the IRS that story, <laughs> <laughs> because the whole the whole conceit was about how you should fund. The IRS, which is basically the tax collection agency in America, yeah, and it was him singing, "I don't want to know what life is like without (laughs) a name,"
0: which is obviously brilliant. But what I'm interested in it's the conversation, like because the idea, brilliant, yeah. And now, how how do you get from the idea?
1: Incredible. We got to the joke. Right, which was, and it felt like that was a decent landing point of the IRS is the anus of American government, right? No one wants to talk about it. No one really wants to have anything to do with it, but it's massively important. Yeah. (laughs) And if the anus fails, the body's in trouble, right? Beautiful. That's basically it. Yeah. So now, when we made the leap to Michael Bolton, (laughs) I'm not sure, but I know that call was made to him.
0: Who made the the call? Because presumably you then have to relate. I knew
1: he was funny. Yeah. Right, because he had just done a song... Uh, with Lonely Island, who uh, worked for SNL for years, about Jack Sparrow, the pirate, and it was really good, and he was very, very good in it. A legitimately funny man, and he knew exactly how to kind of do it without trying to make it too funny. Yeah, yeah. I thought he might be tickled by the idea. Yeah. And then when it was clear that he could and would do it, it was very exciting. When he turned up and sang it during rehearsal, (laughs) it was like an absolute dream. My dad had his album. Oh, my God. We used to listen to that in the car and to think, I'm standing next to Bart Bolton, who's still got pipes, yeah. pipes for days. Yeah, yeah. To have him really commit to that. As I'm standing, yelling, like Flavor Flav, yelling <laughs> over the top of him, tell him, Michael, <laughs> tell the people about it.
0: But I love that. But... It was just pure joy. Have you ever looked at one of those cards and gone, that was the one that got away? That there's, there's an idea that you haven't been able to get across the line. Oh, like Beyonce, Beyonce fighting those, Henry the Hoover or something like there's that.
1: <laughs> there's loads of those ideas, <laughs> but I guess—is
0: there one that kind of springs to
1: mind? Well, no, because by the end, of, by the time we're putting it on cars, we're locked in, right? So those particular cars are more like a physical manifestation of something that actually happened, right? Like going to Moscow. Oh yeah, I was in Moscow for thirty-six terrifying hours, or meeting the Dalai Lama, or unveiling a six thousand pound cake. You, it happened. So it's not. It's more satisfying because it was something that you managed to pull off. Yeah. See the it. idea is that you can't quite get up the hill. It always feels like you're putting them back on a shelf, hoping they might come down yeah. in the future.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, I don't it's, accept
1: they're dead yet. Yeah,
0: totally. It's it's so funny, isn't it? It's like we have that with stand up, where you go, okay, it's not it's not right for this World Cup, but in four years' time, it might just work. It's funny.
1: I loved that Seinfeld documentary comedian so much because you just watched him struggling. I think there's one point like he's kneeling in a kitchen waiting to go on and he's just so miserable because he can't get a bit about a duck to work. Yeah, man. And I think lots of people watch that thinking, well, it doesn't make any sense because here's a guy who could not have been any more successful at that point in his life. Why is he worried about a duck choke? And to me, it makes more sense than any of the other stuff. Exactly. Of course he's worried about the duck choke. He can't get it to work. What can't you see?
0: Yeah, and it's... Well, whenever you see Seinfeld come to life it's when he's talking about comedy it's unbelievable oh, yeah. like with all the wealth and status he's got what gets him going oh, and definitely. new ideas definitely and bits and it's the very fact that he kind of sees comics and talks to other comedians he's a groupie who happens to be Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> yeah
1: just oh, and I think it's that. I guess it's so tiresome for most people to hear about comedy because they either don't care or the mechanics of it are just not interesting to them. That, when that was said
0: like a man who is married to an ex medic <laughs> and i right. i know that feeling oh, like, you had exactly yeah. that's true <laughs> it's so funny like given because that's what's absurd given your wife's that's job so true. To, that you don't ever in the same way i don't get to come home and go oh god life's so hard <laughs> it's,
1: it's so difficult it's true it's very hard to explain why it takes such a toll on you it's so intrinsically easy to understand You've seen something universally agreed upon to be horrific or immensely difficult. Of course, that will take a toll. I can't get my duck bit to work. Yeah. Seems to pale in its but the feelings are the same. Th-
0: th- that's the funny thing that they're... And being a doctor, I think, and a comedian, very similar jobs. In oh, the, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> because... We hold lots of pointless information in the way they hold lots of useful information, but it's that same kind of memory retrieval system. It ours what, happens to be pointless. The inventory is different, but they are full.
1: I think the other similarity is that you probably need a pretty dark sense of humour. Yes, doctor, or especially so. Kate was a you know was a medic in like mm-hmm. in a literal war. Yeah. And if you don't have a sense of humour during that, I don't really know how you're going to survive. Like when when our son was born, there was all kinds of problems in that pregnancy. And so we were spending a lot of time in the hospital. And it felt like there was a utility to making the nurses laugh there because what else are they going to do? Yeah. Like if you're in a NICU, you're seeing the worst thing you can imagine happen. They have to laugh. They have to mm. And so you would see them, like, as you go up in the elevator with them, they're messing around, and then they would just, like, take a deep breath. The elevator opens, and then they walk into the thing that they're going to have to cope with. Mm. I, I cannot imagine how you carry that stuff.
0: Absolutely. I remember once being told a story about a patient that they'd had where this guy – there's a risk of paralysis, and apparently one of the reasons you've got to do – there's a far more technical term than this, but you have to you put a finger up the arse and see – if there's a reaction in some way. And the guy, this, this is so English, the guy went, what? Like that, and we said, that's what we've got to do. And the guy went, oh, let me call my girlfriend. <laughs> so he, got, he called his girlfriend, and, you know, the doctors were pretty confused by this, and uh, he was having quite a heated debate with her. And then he spoke to the doctors and went, it's all right, you don't have to do it. I had a word with her and I've put my finger up my ass <laughs> and I'm fine. It's, it's just the most insane chat.
1: Yeah. My dad's dad was a really funny man. And I think he kind of taught me to misbehave as a kid. I, I loved him. Yeah. And he was kind of, he was a physically ridiculous looking guy. He had like massive ears like the BFG. And, um, I remember the last time I saw him, in fact, he was clearly not going to live for long. And uh, he was on the ground floor of this home that he was in at the time. And I thought, my dad went to get the car. and I thought, I'll just climb out the window because, you know, that'll be funnier. And then he said, the last thing he said to me was, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's the last thing I heard. <laughs> I, I spoke at his, at when, when it was his funeral soon after that, He was a really funny guy, so it kind of felt inappropriate for that part of his life, quite a fundamental part of his life, not to be on display. Mm. So I told, I I kind of spoke, told a bunch of funny stories about funny things that he'd said. and It was, it definitely felt like there was a utility to it, and it also felt like there was definitely part of me thinking this is going quite well. I'll add in a couple more. I remember looking down at my mum in the front <laughs> row of the pew with her looking up at me and saying, "That's enough." Yeah. I'm like, that's, what do you mean that's enough? Yeah, I know. What do you mean that's enough? Handing it back to this vicar, he's gonna fucking blow. He's this. gonna ruin it. Yeah. He's, gonna, he's got nothing,
0: and I've got him now. And I think I can push through.
1: I reckon two. I reckon two. I'm gonna say two <laughs> yeah, more stories, and that's gonna mean five yeah, more so stories. Just tapping the coffin like that. <laughs> 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 You got to, You have to let me dance. Put me in the game. Don't but, don't hand it back to this guy.
0: But the problem with it, because I I spoke at my granddad's funeral as well, is, you know, it's when it gets good to you and you, f- you feel your shoulders going back. That's right. That's the problem because that's, that's why- right. And I think
1: my mum, to her absolute credit, saw the shoulders go back and go, you're done whoa, 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 whoa. now. Yeah. You're done yeah. now.
0: Exactly. It's a bit like subbing Salah off at 70. It's like, let's keep him. That's let's right. keep him fresh. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like
1: no. it, yeah. but, but it's for the best. <laughs> Can
0: you imagine that? If your mum says enough and then you get stroppy at a funeral. Walk straight past <laughs> her. Yeah,
1: exactly. I had five more minutes.
0: To Take off the tie. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna put him in, yeah, yeah. It's just the, yeah. I'm not, not watching this. I'm the, not watching what he's about to do in the, this yeah, room.
0: And it cuts to you at the back of the funeral, just taking your socks off. <laughs> ashes <laughs> to ashes. How's that yeah, funny? Exactly. Well, he wasn't even really reli- oh. <laughs> Yeah. The my, at my granddad's funeral, the what I loved, and I it's odd to say you loved it, but I did. I it just I was I reminded me of how proud I felt to belong to my people. But we went to this, uh, The Wake was at a place called Peas Down Cricket Club. So there was, you know, there were lots of my family there, but just people who were also at Peas Down Cricket Club. So the two things blended together. And this guy told me this. He found out I was a comedian, the barman. He told me this awful racist joke. And he went, have it. like that. And he was giving it as if to go, it's giving me a lot of great service. Take it. That's my yours. God. It was the weirdest, the my, weirdest day.
1: My other granddad's funeral. Did you He's speak at that? Up in Liverpool, I didn't. But my. His wife, my grandmother, she wanted us to go to this fish and chip shop that they liked. Not so. Afterwards.
0: Oh, phew, thank God. I thought you were going to batter him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's. That's no way to get rid of grander. As, as <laughs> Harry would have wanted. Yeah. Just
1: put him in there, la. Like, hey, you got any scraps with it? That's that. it. But we went straight from there. So, like, she... Stinking a chips. She wa- no, she walked in and like the guy who owned the place went, All right Bob, yeah, how's honey? And she said, He's outside! <laughs> <laughs> Here he is, in the box, in hers. Oh, sorry for your loss there, Bob. Oh yeah, we'll have a uh, place and chips. <laughs> so hang on a minute, so you just park Granddad parked Grandad up. Parked parked him outside, had fish and chips. It was absolutely brilliant, utter chaos.
0: Presumably you eat those chips quickly.
1: Because no, that... honestly, I was laughing as a kid. I'm laughing so hard at that point because it's she's caused mayhem. Of course, she's ruined a bunch of fish dinners <laughs> yeah. by p- rolling up with a hearse. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but and she's all made. You're,
1: all you're trying to do is have your chip butty, and Bob's in there saying, "I brought Harry for one final nosh down." All right.
0: Yeah. So was that why? Because he loved that chip shop. Loved,
1: they love that place. So she went. Oh, I will tell you what. Let's go there, and then we'll go. Then that's beautiful. I mean, I I think it's absolutely the right thing to yeah, do. Man. It's chaos. But I think it was entirely appropriate. It's my abiding memory <laughs> of that funeral. Why on earth would you not want your abiding memory of a sad event to be something that had joy in it? Please tell me.
0: Was it a Catholic funeral? It would have been, yeah. Open house? Nope. Ah, she just popped a chip <laughs> just in the top pocket. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a pee fritter in
1: his pocket. He's <laughs> he crazy say that. There was a, a, guy, a guy, one of the cleaners in our building, Fantastic guy. He passed away a few years ago. And I went to his funeral, and he loved cooking. And so his his wife, it was an open casket, his wife had put like a wooden spoon <laughs> in his pocket. In the co- So I'm looking at him, and he's got a wooden spoon in his pocket, and I'm laughing. I'm thinking, excellent. But you've got to get the laugh
0: right. <laughs> like that has to be a respectful laugh. You you can't go. (laughs) That (laughs) is right.
1: That is right. It's more of an eternal laugh. Um, uh, Very amusing. I like it. And I'll enjoy this later. Not now. Yeah, Yeah. man.
0: What's it like? I've never been to an open... That must be weird. Very,
1: very weird. I don't... I mean, I understand the argument for it. I just don't see the point. Because it doesn't look like that person anymore. Yes. In any meaningful way. So it may as well not be them. Yeah. It's... It's like a drawing of someone. It doesn't make sense. They're gone. It doesn't... I'd be interested to know what the argument is for it giving you comfort. It never gave me comfort. It, yeah. just, um, it just seemed slightly unhelpful.
0: Yeah, uh, but luckily the spoon was there to focus on. Well,
1: that's the thing. Like, what
0: would you that... have in your pocket, do you think? God, I haven't thought of that. It's so... If you've
1: got a chance to plan your funeral, mm. you should... Do it well.
0: A friend of mine um, has um, stage four cancer and she had the funeral so she can be there. Oh, that's great. And she's a a lady called Chris Helenga. She runs an amazing breast cancer charity. She said it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. She said it was a really great day. Yeah. Um, That makes sense to me. though. Yeah. The only snag is it's, it, it just feels a bit embarrassing. And yeah. yet, do you know what I mean? Because people are going to say wonderful things about you. That's true. And then you're just going to be there going, ah, fuck.
1: I do, I do like the idea of someone giving people the funeral that they wanted that that. as well. Because it feels like the communi- communication continues. My my uncle died of AIDS, so he had a long time to, and attending a lot of funerals, <laughs> to work out what you want to deliver, and it made it far more impactful. It, in many ways, it made it more devastating, because it's yeah. like he's still talking to you.
0: What did he do then?
1: What did, it was just like he, he decided what readings he wanted, what music he wanted played, so it was very, very personal. It's not, it's not projected onto him, yeah. right? it's him communicating through it. It's, and so it, beca- it became, partly because of how old I was and how much I loved him, but it, it became the kind of the abiding Memory of a funeral. It had the biggest emotional impact on me because, and, because of that.
0: Yeah, and but well, I think what's interesting is what when religion is removed from a funeral and you yes. get you get a glimpse of the
1: person. Absolutely, yeah. I think that was that was also really important to me because none of the religion ever worked for me. So it, it's, yeah. it, it feels, I mean, it feels aggressive to say it's fraudulent, but you don't connect to it at all. So it's there's just no, silly. There's it's no just, comfort there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I've I found that funeral much more impactful, partly because of that. It was done through, like, readings that he loved or, you know, philosophers that had meant something to him or music that he'd either composed or... um or that had real connection to him. So it was a much better way to go. And, like
0: and then subsequently, we get a final connection with that person
1: because it's a true imprint of of who they were. Definitely. Rather and, than, here's the like...
0: song you have yeah. to sing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, and it felt like, especially at that time with, you know, the gay community in London where AIDS was just devastating this community, it felt like the final thing of taking a little bit of control back mm. that you could go out the way that you wanted to yeah no what's it, next in the uh, in the old box i couldn't work this one out i would want something to make me think of edinburgh right the, the edinburgh festival so as a physical object i don't know it'd be like maybe like your the Pleasance pass or something but mm. i think it'd be more of a feeling the feeling of walking up like a cobbled steep hill, cold in August, wet in August, to perform to seven people in a hut. (laughs) You would think from the outside that that is the description of a miserable walk, whereas, in fact, it's about as happy as you get.
0: Yeah, well, I I went this year, and to go to the Edinburgh Festival as a punter is really exciting. And you forget how much fun it is to kind of cram in a load of shows. Did you
1: do any shows?
0: No. I at all no i just i was there for 5 days just kind of watching stuff it was just a reminder as an old man walking around edinburgh seeing all these kind of young comics oh yeah you just kind of got really giddy yeah. off their energy and you go it's little versions of us just kind of making their way in it all and what what's great about the Edinburgh Festival, particularly for kind of American comics, you pro, you don't really seem to have that, where Definitely it's this not. place that you can go, where anybody <laughs> can go. You don't have to be invited. Yeah. Just go there, do 28 days of shows, yeah. and figure out what kind of comic you want to be, rather than yeah. be allowed to go there.
1: Yeah, it's the... The steepest learning curve you can possibly have, because I you learnt, went it's for the a most ra- consequential lessons that I learned. Yeah, in comedy. So it was. It's kind of <clears throat> going to university to be a comedian, right?
0: But for, particularly for you, because you. So we became friends. I I never saw the Iron Twenty John,
1: <laughs> but but yeah. uh, but I remember I don't, hearing about how iron like that was.
0: No, but I never saw that guy. But. But I remember you doing the comedy zone which yeah. for people listening is basically like that's your entry level show that you do at the festival and you had like a power 20 <laughs> about like easyjet and st- Oh yeah that's right. And then when I met you you were yes, clearly right. figuring out what you now do.
1: Exactly. Yeah but, I, but I, I think it's like, it's the perfect embodiment of that Edinburgh like you to realize you can kind of finish your right bulletproof to the extent that was true which it wasn't but you know as as close to a solid set of comedy that you can produce at that point you're finished mm. really right so mm. then what what are you going to do mm. you are going to keep doing that you can, there's probably many cautionary tales that will show you that's not the way to human happiness and so then you start to break it and that that was where Edinburgh for me was so massively important that you throw away that safety blanket, and then the next year you come back with a brand new hour. You've spent a number of years making that 20 minutes. Now you have to spend 11 months making an hour. Mm. And you're probably not ready for it. You probably shouldn't be ready for it, for the system Mm. to work and for that learning curve to go up. But you You were always really
0: really fearless. That's what I remember thinking. As somebody that was kind of – I was always looking at you as like a couple of years up at the school – and I was going to, ha- like, because this would be definitely, inconceivable yeah. to people listening now. But 2004, yeah. like, people would walk out of that oh, show. Definitely. And you, but you you knew no. what you wanted to do. It never seemed, like, outwardly that you gave no. a shit.
1: No. It was probably because I was treating it much more like a selfish exercise. I was really trying to get better. Yeah. And so it wasn't so much uh, the thrill you gain from entertaining people because... At many points I wasn't entertaining anyone at all. It was more the utter thrill of feeling I'm getting better at this.
0: But did you I have, like, feel it? You had some shows where you just didn't even make it all
1: the way through. I had a one hundred percent walkout. <laughs> Started with four people. Two left. (laughs) So now you've got two people. A couple, this piece of shit guy, (laughs) abandons his wife. He says, he turns to her and says, I'm going to the toilet. She looks at him with like a hard stare as if to say, it better be the toilet. I see she doesn't. He's taking his bag with him. Yeah. Not going to the toilet, are you, mate? You're leaving your wife to this. Yeah. So then it's just me and her for another five, six minutes. And then I see her hand going down like a kind of Old West movie. (laughs) To Let a gun, but no, it's a handbag. She she puts her fingers around it, and then I say, "You're leaving, aren't you?" And she said, "Yeah, I am." And she walks out, and then that Pleasance below door kind of clicks shut. Like the sound—I remember the sound of the mechanism, the, the click of the lock—and then it's just me in an empty room with and, a technician. And so, what are we thirty minutes in? We're about thirty minutes in. So, what, and then the uh, yeah, the lightning guy. Said, so, "Do you want to keep going?" <laughs> I said, oh, "No." I'm... It feels like this uh, this gig's just been shot in the head, mate. Yeah,
0: but what that's what's so funny about Edinburgh, and yeah, I bet the night after that you had a great show. It's the oscillation between yes. terrible and great. In the early days, you have no. I remember a comedian called Steph Paolini, and I remember being in the Pleasance Courtyard with him, and he had a half a pint in a pint glass. And I said, How was the gig? And he went, Technically, should I still be in there. <laughs> and you're like, Wow. <laughs> so, hang on a yeah. minute. So, not only have you finished your gig, you've yeah. gone to the bar, queued up, and drunk half of it. Yeah. How short are we talking?
1: Pretty short, pretty short. I know. You learned so many good lessons, though. I think. Do you, like, do without, you ever plan without, to go back? I, w- I would love to go back. But like, Kitson, I remember once saying, when I was trying to plan, he said, You, you just need to remember it's changed, right? Yes. Yeah. A decade's passed, right? Mm. This is not... Well, more than a decade. Wow. like Nearly two decades now. So it's not the same people. It's not the same places. Yeah. It's different. I think it, once I'd got my head to the point of understanding, oh, it's not... Gonna, I'm not going to see favorite. the time capsule version of it. Exactly. Favourite is exactly. I was literally just going to say, it. it's not going to be
0: yeah.
1: Jermaine and Brett mm. and Dimitri at Favourite. Yeah. I think... Once I get my head around that, I think I can find some enjoyment in, oh, it's a bunch of little Germains everywhere.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. And also I was there with Al Pitcher. And what was fascinating this year, at the festival everyone was talking about having ADHD, that seemed to be the strain that was going through. And Pitcher said, these guys have got a real nerve because I'm hanging out with the OG of ADHD. (laughs) Who the fuck are they to Didn't talk? Need a diagnosis. Bouncing off the walls. This yeah, one? absolutely. Well, that, it reminded me of like staying in flats. We never stayed in a flat together
1: in Edinburgh. Yeah, no, I'd have killed you. Yeah, but
0: Zaltzman <laughs> did. That was that was one of my highlights. I stayed in Edinburgh for two years with Andy, and that I, that's when I realised I had a problem. Because he would explain, he was like, "You've got your cup of tea, you've walked past the sink, and then you've put the tea bag on the floor there." I don't understand, like, why have you gone past? You've gone past the bin, and you've just put it on the floor. What is fucking wrong with you? I said, like, "I don't know, Andy." I just, but I've got better. You'd be pleased to know I've got better. I had to have real help. Good for you. Yeah. You know that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street when uh, DiCaprio has the orange juice and he just throws it. <laughs> So, so me and Keris watched that in the cinema and she was like fuck me it's you
1: <laughs> that, that is a harrowing thing to be compared to you see that monster on screen that absolute monster you do that yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like <laughs> if you were better at maths that would have been you yeah.
0: well it's a bit like when my brother said you're like Nicholas and Elka and I'm like how am I meant to be upset by this <laughs>
1: what's uh, what is the next thing This is a more literal interpretation of that, you know, the Proust-Madeleine idea that, you know, it can evoke. So this is very close to that. It would be a lemon poppy seed cake that I ate in Paris. So that's why it's so very much on the nose to the Proust idea, right? A
0: lemon poppy seed cake. Yeah,
1: because my little sister, she moved to Paris. This is pre-Brexit, right, where it was easy to live and work anywhere you wanted to in Europe. And got a job like washing dishes and then realized that she loved baking and so started working in this bakery, started running the bakery. I didn't really know exactly what she was up to. And I remember coming back from America one Christmas and stopping in Paris to go see her. And she'd made almost everything in this bakery, and I couldn't believe it. It was that so like she gave me this lemon poppy seed cake to eat, and I just it was the best one I've ever had. And I just couldn't believe that my little. So I remember meeting her as a baby. Yeah. Right, I remember I held her as a baby in a hospital. Again, different times. I don't think you would naturally give a seven-year-old a brand new baby. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, you'd at least put them around, you know, some soft stuff and have the kids sitting down. Not so. Here yeah. you go. Watch the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I remember holding her, and to think that that baby had just made that lemon poppy seed cake was just. Mind blowing to me, and so is she. Kind of like she's
0: a baker. She's she's running. She the was,
1: bullshit. yeah. She do, she's doing that, and then she moved to Australia. Got a job in a bakery in Melbourne. Oh my and again, god! Again, I went to see her. Yeah, thinking I'll um because uh, I, I was will just do a gig there and then I can see her. And I said, like, <laughs> oh, can I come to this bakery? And she went, ah, oh, it's not really that kind of place. I went, I'll just come come by. It'd be nice to see you work there. She went, yeah, it's not really that. Anyway, we can have lunch at it, though. I went, okay. So I turned up to this place, (laughs) this building, and it's like going 50 floors up in an elevator. She's working at the fanciest restaurant in Australia. It's like beyond a Gordon Ramsay thing. She's working with this, like, deconstructed carrot cake that she's making. She's, like, talking me through what is on the plate. And, again, you think, I can't believe that little baby. (laughs) Wow is kind of talking you through saying, oh, that's just like a smear of these six different ingredients. That's bullshit. This, this thing is actually really hard to make. It was just the most unbelievable lunch that my little sister had just had a significant role in making. That's so cool. Um, is she still in Oz? No, she lives in New York now. She's here. Yeah, and- because, because when my, my son was born and things were difficult with his health, she felt too far away. So she came over here, started working in a bakery here and in a restaurant here. Now she's married, lives here, uh, just had a baby of her own. Oh, my God. The, the most overwhelming thing that I had not really planned to, to be affected by was when I met her baby. And you realise, I'm holding, it was the real yeah. it like He was taking you back to when I was seven. Like, mm. I'm holding this baby that came out of that other baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, man.
1: And now you get to be, I mean, you're going to
0: be a phenomenal uncle. Well, you should be, right? You've I mean, got, I mean, it's your duty. If you talk about your granddad teaching yes. you to misbehave, that is your, That but is your. you've got were, to do those it. Those
1: were massively influential moments, I think. Being like brought up relatively strictly and to have an old chaotic man saying, hey, let's get our cutlery, let's bang it and demand food. And you're like, I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it slightly quieter than you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you need that it's a bit like have you ever seen the film The Royal Tenenbaums yeah of course so when when he's like you know these kids need a bit of wild they need a bit of roughing up yes you know me and my brother often talk about taking my sister's kids to a dog fight like as that scene in the film just they need a bit of roughing up yeah but they're cool but it's it's my job to be silly with the kids it's your job yeah just because we are fools what have you got planned for the for the nephew niece niece
1: apologies yeah. uh, well she's pretty young so nothing yet but yeah when, when the time comes that sh- she can be introduced to the world of chaos road trip she can be that's right where are you taking her Pull oh, well, th- we'll go across we'll do. We'll yeah. go, drive across the country blue corvette Thelma and Louise style yes <laughs> boom, boom. let's go
0: what is the final thing
1: oh yeah it would probably have to be something about my kids right because yeah. it becomes such a big part of uh, your life There's a picture one of my kids drew which made me laugh so hard and caused so many problems (laughs) that I've got it on the fridge right now. Basically, he came back from school and he'd drawn like a stick figures picture of people. Mm -hmm. And so my wife was saying, so who's that? And so it's me holding hands with a woman with a ponytail. And then there's another stick figure woman just off to the side. And she said, who's that? at The stick figure woman off to the side. And he said, "That's you." And uh, she said, "Who's who's Dada holding hands with?" And he said, "I don't know."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was the, it, it was exactly what a k- confused kid would do if an affair was happening. Yeah. <laughs> and it, the the way he looked at her, dead in the eye, with almost some like genuine confusion. Was, I don't know. Can you please help me? Yeah, My life's so... confusing in a way I don't understand yeah, right yeah. now. And just to say, I, like, buckled over laughing. Kate looks, like, justifiably a little concerned about, yeah. is this the way I'm about to find out about yeah. something? I'm looking at him thinking, you little fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, it makes me laugh every time I look at it in the morning. Even when, like, look, they were up all night last night. I was so exhausted. Then I was, like, making their breakfast in the morning. I get to the fridge, I look at that I think, yeah, you got me pretty good there.
0: Do you ever feel the temptation when you're in the kitchen with your wife just to walk past the picture and just stroke the other woman's hair?
1: I've always liked ponytails. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? You're
1: out there somewhere. This, is this the future? This probably isn't healthy, but I, I'm never more proud of them than when they're really funny, which is an awful thing to say. But That's uh,
0: beautiful, though, eh? And they've got no idea. They're under no pressure. But you're a professional comedian, so sometimes they're going to be funny and you'll be like, yeah. Yeah, they
1: don't don't know. I think they actually don't know yet. During the strike, when I was having to go away a bunch, I was like trying to describe my stand up. But I I would just say, I would go and I would go to a room and I'd do some talking. And that was enough to to stop any follow up questions because it just sounded so boring. They weren't really
0: involved. Oh, I see. I remember my friend Harley, we were in Australia and his son was seven. We were backstage and there was kind of like this little circular window and he, I lifted him up so he could see his dad on stage, but he couldn't hear him. It was incredible. Really? he was so excited because he just didn't know what was going on, but he could just see his dad, almost like this weird superhero figure that was kind of shouting and screaming. And we, what we did before the show started, we got his son to put the water on the stage with the tour manager. And and we oh. were like, you're going to enjoy it, but don't look at the crowd. Do not look because it will freak you out. And you just watched this little boy walk along and then he just turned and his just knees went, <laughs> like that, because it was like 3,000 Aussies going, what the hell is this, mate?
1: The most excited I've ever seen my son with someone's job was that my sister's husband is a librarian at the Met here. So we'd just seen the Night of the Museum films. Oh, wow. And to, but he had like a pass so he could like scan a door that was locked and walk through. And I remember everything in my son's world stopped when he saw that red light turn green and opened the door and thought, this is the greatest human being on Yeah, Earth. yeah, yeah. What, does that work on other doors? It does. Let's go. Yeah, Let's wow. go through all of them.
0: <laughs> you're going to struggle to compete with him I can't. as another uncle. I, I can't.
1: It's the, it's a, I mean, that is, it's the magical for a kid just running around the Met, going oh. in rooms you're not supposed to be going in. God, your, your sister sounds like she's had a phenomenal life. <laughs> yeah. She really does. Like, yeah. so were you
0: close as kids?
1: I don't. I mean, there was a pretty big age gap. That's what so I mean. That's but the, it, that's the thing. I it, think was the more, I, I think that might be why that the poppy seed cake thing really stuck in my head because that mm. was the first time you, you, know, you just naturally freeze every memory in amber, right? And you, mm. everyone's guilty of doing that with kids. You kind of just see them as the. I'm guilty of doing that with Edinburgh, right? It's that I think of it back to the time it was Favreau and us running around. And mm. of course, it's moved on as things should. And I think that lemon poppy seed cake really made me think, oh, no, you've had a whole life between when I held you as a baby and here you are making making pastries in Paris. Just because yeah. you thought that might be something you're interested in. And you were. And so you did it. It was Part of that reason that made me so sad over Brexit, because you realise that young people have their horizons constrained a little bit in the way that they weren't previously. Yeah. It would not be as easy for her to make that move so effortlessly as it was, and it was really important to her. And
0: it's not the same if you do it at at Greg's. It's It's just not. not... They
1: just don't make as good a lemon poppy seed cake Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's fine. Uh, It's Greg's. It gets the job done.
0: There's something about being in a boulangerie and that is as adventurous as saying i'm going to become a stand up comedian to me yeah, just of course to go it and write is. bollocks to it i'm going to go is. to france
1: it's exactly the same yeah it's of amazing course it's exactly that, that's i think that's exactly right deciding no i'm going to i'm going to completely leave the path that i was on yeah. to pursue this other dream and i think yeah writing stupid jokes is just as erratic a dream as deciding to make a serviceable lemon poppy seed cake to the french do you go for dinner with her is that a thing you do yeah, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't really get across just how little time <laughs> I it have. sounds... It's all-consuming. What about holidays? Do you have, like, a... Not really.
0: Right. What What blows my mind about you is on New Year's Eve, you still do a stand-up gig every single... Oh, day. I would definitely... And-
1: I would always do that, because I get so sad on New Year's yeah. Eve. Yeah. That that's the
0: only way to escape it. But what is that thing? Is it Is it the fear of getting older? Is it feeling insignificant? Because what is the New Year's Eve... It's the forced fun, I guess. I
1: hated forced fun yeah. so much.
0: What about Halloween? Did you ever you, you dress up as a cat? Or... <laughs> <laughs> now that you've got American kids, it's such a big thing. I bet you have to do that. <laughs>
1: out yourself there russ i mean that is just an absolute top tier question yeah. i think of it in, the, in the you know in the canon of great interviewers you got your parkinson yeah. you got your david frost to see you lunging into a microphone and so what about halloween Do you dress up as a cat <laughs> mohammed ali <laughs> yeah
0: <exactly. laughs>
1: Jesus. Yeah, you're the, you're the greatest at boxing, but where do you stand how on that? How does he surgically open people up in front of him? I oh, just he. but this. <laughs> but what? it's it's the avoidance. Do up, it's like, the, yeah.
0: Do you? You got American kids? It's taken very seriously. Here.
1: Oh yeah. They love it. Yeah, I think uh, I've, so dre- I, so I say again, I've done a Duke Kaboom. Do you know a Duke Kaboom? No. Toy Story Four. I've, I haven't got kids. Honestly, you don't need kids for Toy Story yeah, Four. I don't
0: know, mate. You can't go to the cinema.
1: You can't go to the cinema. I agree. Mm. It's it's worth a watch. Okay. It's very good. And there's, could- there's plenty of kids' films you don't need kids for. Secret
0: Life of Pets. That's decent. Beverly Hills Chihuahua. That's all right.
1: So that's what I'm talking. <laughs> so you'll watch. <laughs> You're watching a plane pet. That's it. Keep, treat yourself. Toy Story Four, mate.
0: Yeah, I remember getting caught it's watching Beverly Hills Chihuahua, and there's a scene in it when one of the dogs brushes his teeth and goes minty, <laughs> and it just got me. So I, on I a plane? yeah. So yeah. I really bellowed, and the stewardess, pretty unprofessionally, just looked over and go, "What are you laughing at?" And it was just a oh fucking my God. kids' film.
1: I find myself getting very emotional watching films yeah. on planes. I don't, I, there must be some I think physiological there is a thing, reason, yeah, like yeah. That can only make sense. Yeah, because I'm not. I generally don't respond that way to films. I started crying at a film. Stu Stewart looks over. I swear this is true. It was, you know, that film Blades of Glory. Yeah, that Will Ferrell, John Hader ice skating thing. Yeah, it was just that when he turned up at the end. Like, there's nothing sad about it, but he turns up and it seemed like he wasn't going to turn up, but he did. And they <laughs> skated together. The music swells. I start crying, thinking, Oh, as she looks over, what is this? And I look like I'm having a mental breakdown. Yeah. It's because he came back. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to skate, are they? Okay. Sk- I'll have the chicken, I guess. <laughs>
0: What it's is weird. That?
1: There, it, there must be a reason. The, do, Dan, do you, do you know?
0: It... Have a look, because I think there is. There's some sort of syndrome or something where you've got like less oxygen or something. It impacts you. The the oddest experience I have. is Dan.
1: Is Dan like your Joe Rogan? throwing to his mate saying Google it. Is that the role that Dan's playing?
0: Dan, you happy with being Joe Rogan's mate? I imagine you're not.
1: Yeah, not 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 really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's like a, a QI boffin. It's a nicer way of putting I see, it. yeah. You have less oxygen going through your system, so you've got less oxygen in your brain, so emotionally you're a mess. Is that what it says? Yeah. I feel like you might have made that up there.
1: <laughs> I think you've said... Yeah, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But that's what that's what you're reading right now. Less It is less oxygen. Yeah. That makes more sense to me. Maddest film you've seen? I watch a lot of documentaries for this job. Mm. Um so it is probably that. There's a good one on Apple called Monster Factory about wrestlers, about a place in Philadelphia that's kind of producing wrestlers to wrestle on the various professional circuits, including the WWE. What do you um, mean it's producing them? Like It's basically like a kind of vocational college that he's running. He's kind wow. of teaching them how to set up rings, but also how to form a character, how to do promos, and how to wrestle. And it's very, very good. It's called
0: Monster Factory. Monster Factory. Yeah. I mean,
1: I am in for that. Yeah. That sounds. There you go. I'm taking care of all the spare time that you're going to be having over the next few weeks. So, all
0: you're doing is you're doing your TV show, you're spending time with your wife, you're raising your kids, and you're watching documentaries about wrestlers. <laughs> That's it. It's
1: not a bad life, it's not. You put in a rounded life, but it's not a bad life.
0: <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever seen the wrestling in Edinburgh? No, I have that
1: happened after I left, but I was interested in that.
0: Yeah, I think you'd be all right for that.
1: <laughs> Me as a participant. I don't think I've got oh, the... you'd be a great commentator. I'd, I'd love to commentate.
0: Yeah. Is there is there anything like that where now that you find yourself in this kind of absurd world of like mega fame, what is the situation that you find yourself in when you're like that real like what the fuck is going on moment? Well, oh, that's a good question. I guess the kind of... um. And you, like, dressed up as a cat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Parky couldn't work at two speeds, could he? I would say the kind of what-the-fuck-is-happening moments would probably be when we booked guests that I was going to talk to. And I guess there's two in particular. Snowden would actually be one of them, just because it was so difficult to get there. Mm. It was chaotic When we were there, it was Mm. clear that we were being watched. And uh, I really appreciated him trusting me with that interview. And I I had an idea for how to get the incredibly technical information that he had in his head across to people who don't have that technical understanding with a very, very stupid joke. But I thought it would work. I think sitting there knowing we're being watched and I'm about to interview a fugitive, that was a little bit of a what the fuck, Mm. as was before the Dalai Lama turned up. I went to Dharamsala in northern India... And I was pretty confident that he was going to enjoy it, kind of like with Michael Bolton. He likes comedy, right? He sees it as the the utility of it as a way to reduce the distance between him and people. Right. So I knew he would respond to what we were doing. But once I got there and you see monks walking around and there were like a group that had just walked from Tibet to come and meet him and all they were asking him was, please don't die and please come home. Two things he definitely cannot do. You realise with this all veneration of him that oh, I'm about to fuck with him now. Yeah. I think he's going to be okay with it. But this is a very weird situation to be in.
0: Yeah, because presumably there's that moment where, and you can't play it serious. You're about to tickle a deity.
1: Well, it's crazy you say that. What he did, he did it first. He tickled me. Did he? Yep. He said, like, I was sitting in a chair. I met him. I called him your holiness, which again is not a. Th- a yeah. term that you think is gonna come out of your mouth. Yeah. And also not a great term to come out of your mouth when you're about to fuck with him. Yeah. And he yeah, tickled me under my armpit and I thought, don't do that. And <laughs> did you
0: yeah, I was gonna say, what yeah. did you say?
1: Well it was kind of he, he just, yourself. He you grabbed p- the the sound guy by the nose and said, You got a big nose. Right. Razzed him. <laughs> <laughs> tickled me and I thought, All right, let's fucking go. Yeah, yeah. That calmed <laughs> me down. Before, Please tell
0: me. Did Please what? tell me you open the interview just by bitch-slapping it. <laughs>
1: Imagine that. He
0: tickles you and <laughs> you're ha
1: I thought we were doing it.
0: Let's talk to bit.
1: Come on, Orange. As a wise man once asked, Dalai, have you ever dressed as a cat? <laughs> yeah, Dalai <is that> <laughs> Lama.
0: I bet he has. I bet he fucking out. I bet when he's out of his robes. He's dressed like a cat. I bet you he partakes. I bet he's got a few costumes. Cowboy, cat and tree surgeon. <laughs> What a great way of ending. Um, mate, I really enjoyed that. So nice hanging. Yeah. And it felt like, you know, there was a little moment in the middle where, you know, I pushed you too far, you got a bit pissy, but we <laughs> moved through it. You look good, though. You don't mind me saying. I do. Yeah. I oh, do. you do mind me saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that. Isn't no that m- great?
1: I mind you saying it. No one's yeah, ever. S- I, mind you. I don't like it at all. Isn't Take that it funny? Back. I'm not interested in yeah, it. Yeah, man. Yeah. But it's so funny. Stop looking me up and down and yeah, judging.
0: But nobody has ever said that. You look great if you don't mind me saying. I really do, I actually. Do. I
1: do. Take it back. Yeah. Stop it. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, right. the wonderful
0: John Oliver. So that was John Oliver. Uh, he's in the middle of his latest series of last week tonight, which you can watch on HBO, or if you're in the UK, you can stream it from the usual places. Thanks for listening. Join me next week for another Wonderbox.